listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. Hey everybody, we're back today and we have an exciting episode for you. This is my question. What comes to mind when I say the word immigration? If you're like me, there's all kinds of thoughts that come to mind, some of them positive, but honestly, there's a lot of negative words that are attached to the word immigration. But we, as leaders, want to be able to influence everything in our world. Seth, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so as, as Christians, like God has placed us on this earth uh, to be uh, not just, I mean, we are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ and the gospel, but we are also to influence our world for the sake of the kingdom of God. And, and with that, we need to be knowledgeable about uh, current circumstances in our world, but we need to be knowledgeable about the needs of the people around us. And, uh, and Miriam, thankfully, is here, and she's going to be talking about immigration because that is what she does. She is a, uh, the owner of, sorry, tell us the name of your, your <laughs> law Ramirez firm. Law so firm. <laughs> no. Ramirez Law the Firm. Ramirez Law Firm. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, being a, a child of immigrants, um, I mean, it's something that I deal with every day at my work and even in my own life. I mean, um, every day I come up with these ideas of like, oh, how's my life different than, you know, a normal person that's Caucasian that grew up with me or something. So um, one of the things, there is a lot of misconceptions in with um, when we think of immigration. Um, one of the main things is um, there's a lot of people who are here undocumented and um, people think, well, why haven't they become a U.S. citizen? Why haven't they done this by now? They've been here 15, 20 years. Um, why haven't they done something? And the simple question is, there's nothing that they can do. Mm. Um, if it were up to them, I, you know, I have my own some family members that are undocumented, and we ask them, okay, if you had twenty thousand dollars, would you like become legal? And they're like, yes, yes, like I would pay whatever. Um, it, you know, we have like, you know, like in Willy Wonka, like we have that golden ticket yeah. simply by being born here or having that pathway to become a U.S. citizen. Um, so, you know, uh, when you think of U.S. citizen, um, that's what people think, like you can go from being undocumented, jumping into U.S. citizenship, but there's actually a, a step in between um, that's called your legal permanent residence. And going from step one which is being undocumented into going into obtaining legal permanent resident status. That's where it's a lot of, you know, um, a lot of people don't qualify because you either have to have a family member with status. And even if you do have a family member, um, there might be some other barriers that might prevent you or might even prohibit you from getting um, your green card. Um, And then, uh, or... uh, a job, um, or if you have um, exceptional like skills, or or have this job title, uh, maybe through 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 that you can be transition into uh, obtaining legal status in the U.S. Yeah. And one of, one of the hard things with that, from my understanding, is that the minute that you begin the conversation is the minute that you've decided it's either all or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Because because it's either stay or you don't get to stay. Yeah, and and so like, and I think this might be what you're talking about, like okay. uh, starting like the like legal going un- from undocumented to legal resident. Yeah, a lot of people 
are still scared, are skeptical yeah. and say, okay, what if my application gets denied? Wow. And now actually there, you know, some applications, if they get denied, they will get referred to or uh, transferred to immigration court to begin the, the deportation process. Wow. So that is, you know, something that I talk to my clients about. I say, okay, you might on, uh, you know, um, prima facially be eligible, like on paper might be eligible, but maybe something might come up that might prevent you from actually doing that. For example, one thing too, um, a lot of times people, even if they have a, a U.S. citizen spouse, you know, mm-hmm. people think, oh, you marry someone, that's their ticket to get a green card. Not necessarily. A lot of people, um, there's a 10-year bar. That's one common thing that I have to, that I encounter with a lot of my clients. They're, they're subject to a 10 year bar for being here for more than a year without legal status. Wow. And so that I tell them, I say, so that means you have to leave the country for 10 years. Then your spouse can do it, you know, file paperwork and you might. Um, thankfully for um, spouses, there mm. is a waiver um, that you can apply for to get rid of that, you know, to waive that 10-year punishment, um, that 10-year bar. Um, but again, it's just kind of like, okay, let's see if they're going to adjudicate it. Let's see what if, if we can convince them enough that, that they'll approve this. Miriam, so immigration is a big thought, a big concept. Yes. And for me, someone who's never walked through it, it's confusing. Why is immigration a faith issue in addition to a family issue, in addition to a cultural and political issue? I mean, well, in the Bible, you hear a lot about immigrants, um, people relocating or people going back to their country or their, you know, uh, town of birth to be counted. I mean, even, you know, Joseph and Mary. Um, so there, and, and so, and I think a lot of times we, um, we equate our patriotism to our faith um, we sometimes become so adamant about our country and our love for our country that we get blinded by, you know, actually caring for our neighbors mm. um, or reaching out to them. I mean, um, the ends of the earth, um, and though that's beyond the United States. And so sometimes I think we, we get too patriotic or too, you know, we hold the U.S. in the palm of our hands um, with a tight grasp that we don't want to let it go or let someone else hold it for a little bit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Miriam, now, God has really elevated you in a lot of ways. You own your own law practice. You're younger than 30 still, but you've owned this practice almost four years. Uh, In addition to that, you've recently been appointed to the governor's uh, census council to really help get people registered for the census. census. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in that, God giving you favor in your business and the things that you're doing, what are some of the things that are difficult in your job that most people just wouldn't understand? Um, so just how long it takes. So sometimes people think, oh, an immigration attorney is just going to fill out these forms. Or I even have clients themselves that say, oh, well, you just have to fill out these forms. Why are you charging me so much? But there's so much more in depth that goes beyond just filling out this form. Yeah. Um, I have to make sure we have enough evidence. I have to make sure that I, you know, the evidence is well documented, organized. It's what immigration is looking for. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, I'll have people think, oh, well, I, this person needs a driver's license, I'll send them to you. It's like, well, it's not that easy for an immigrant to just get something as simple as a driver's license. Um, so there's even, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And then um, it, a lot of, there's a lot of fear in the immigrant community um, just because they feel, okay, if I actually submit this, um, will that 
prejudice me later on. Um, for example, DACA. Um, people think at the very beginning a lot of people didn't submit DACA applications because they were, uh, you know, skeptical, um, yeah. you know, about that. My parents, they became their pathway to citizenship started um, through, you know, Reagan, through amnesty and, and through, uh, you know, all that. And even then they were skeptical. They were like, okay, yeah. if I, if I avail myself and say, okay, I'm here, here's this, here's my information, here's my address, what's going to happen with that? Mm-hmm. The same thing with the census committee. Like there's a lot of um, information that I have to put out because people think, okay, if I count myself in to, you know, be counted for the census, um, is that going going to avail me to you know anything or even people have a hard time even registering for school Um, I have people in their culture that at 15 16 they don't go to school anymore Mm -hmm. so they come here and they're like do I really have to you know register my kid to school or like I'm like yes yes you do and it's like well if I register them they're gonna know where I live they're gonna it's like no you have to do this or they think that they they because they're not um here legally they think that they can't go to school or can't have those even with right now with covid testing people are scared to even go get tested for that because they think okay am i what's going to happen with my results like are they even going to offer me medical you know um uh, medical resources for that yeah a lot of times when people think of 21st century immigration in the united states we think of one type of person tell us how that type of person is often misconstrued so Yeah, I think that when we think about, you know, undocumented immigrant or just an immigrant in general, we always think of, you know, Mexican, to be honest. Um, I sometimes think, you know, growing up, like, okay, that's the face that we see. But really, you know, when you come to, you know, know, um, there's immigrants from everywhere. They're not all brown. Um, There's actually, I've been shocked sometimes where a client will come in with their spouse and I the one who I make the assumption is the one with legal status is actually the immigrant. Wow. You know, yeah. um, uh, they look just like you and me. Um, they look, you know, uh, they look in they in different ways. You know, I have clients from um, from Iran, from Haiti, um, from South Africa. I have clients from Canada. I have clients, um, uh, you know, from everywhere. Um, so, th- and then one on sometimes um, we can be ignorant and think every immigrant's from Mexico or every brown person is from Mexico, when actually there's a lot of other countries. They could be Brazilian, they can be from El Salvador, Nicaragua, um, Puerto Rico, well, well, Puerto Rico's a U.S. territory, but and they could be from somewhere else, and we automatically think they're Mexican, yeah. you know, um, when they're actually maybe not. Hmm. Yes. No, that, that's really enlightening. You talk about how a trip that you took in college shaped some of what you think about immigration. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so my senior year, I was just like wanting to make the most of it, and, and, and spring break was about to, you know, come up, and I really wanted to have like a friend trip, like go somewhere fun. But all my friends were just in different life stages, and we just didn't make it, couldn't make it happen. But I was still gung ho about doing something for spring break, so I just like went on campus. You know, I was at Arkansas Tech and saw this sign for the um, a trip to Six Flags um, with the international students. Um, anyone on campus could apply and it was like a hundred bucks for like a four-day trip um and so I was like dude that's awesome uh, I'm, I'm in um so I did not know 
anyone on the trip. But when I came back, I would have been exposed to different cultures and became really good friends. And the rest of my senior year, I got to, you know, talk to these people. They invited me. For example, there was a big group that went um, that was from Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And there was obviously also, you know, that most of them were were male. And so talking to me as a female was kind of like, okay, this is different, but this is America. Like, that's permissible and, and not not as much as taboo. Um, but they would invite me to their home, and, and I would eat with them. And it just opened up this door about, like, actually getting to see them. And now I'm like, man, I wish I would have done this earlier. Yeah. I mean, on campus, um, there's you're, you are exposed. If you open up your eyes, you'll see that there's actually people who go through it linked the legal process just to be on campus just to study wow. right next to you and, and have a, a you know their bachelor's degree just like you Tr- truly a privilege you're saying yes. uh, now when you walk into your office you see um, different countries represented and yes. those countries represent the different folks who you've represented in court um, through your law firm how many countries are represented Oh, I think right now we're probably like anywhere from around 15 or something. So, yeah, we have a lot. And like I said, that just proves that there's immigrants from different countries, from different places. So, yeah. Now, you still have family who live in Mexico. Yes, most of my family lives in Mexico, and I have more than 100 first cousins. Um, wow. And then my, my dad um, and my mom both have had several siblings, but some of them passed away. But right now, my dad has um, 11 siblings. My mom, I think, has, is they're down to nine. Um, so you just imagine how crazy my family is. And, yeah. and that's brought up, um, brought up like different types of relationships. Like, I love my grandma. respect her but I just I don't ever get to see her so I've never had that and there's sometimes people here in the U.S. they're like I'll adopt you you can be my grandchild you know um so (laughs) but yeah just those things like this my my brother he's married um in his uh his in-laws live here locally. And then of course my parents have their grandbabies and I see the difference in their relationship than my relationship with my grandma. But that's just kind of how life is. And, and we that's our normal. Um, our, my cousins, I would love to grow, have grown up with them. Um, I would love to have, you know, have those sleepovers or those family field, you know, or family road trips or family adventures. But I mean, but we weren't able to, um, just because we're in different countries. Yeah, and and Miriam, you were born in the United States, so Mm -hmm. you've been a citizen since birth. Yes. But there are some of your family who are not, and so there's a difference in some of the opportunities you've had and some of the opportunities they have had. Could you elaborate on that just so that we could understand? Yes, for example, I was just talking about my cousins, and so right now, like, um, even uh, I went back to Mexico just right before the pandemic back in February, uh, March or like first week of March I was in Mexico um, We, my parents have always wanted us to remember our roots and actually like know um, and, and physically see these things and so when we go to Mexico we wash our clothes like by hand um, there's no washing machines we um, uh, eat over an open fire um, it's just totally different um, just recently in my family got wife you know and so uh so it's kind of crazy we don't get you know a cell phone service and now people are starting to get cell phones and stuff but um but even like for example my uncle um he was here for a while he went back home back in um, December but right before he came uh, my uncle um, had been in the U.S. since he was a teenager um and he even tells me like his first meal in the U.S. was a sonic cheeseburger and and he had to learn um you know some of the things that you know that 
were different about this country and in Mexico. But anyways, right before he left, I just kind of talked to him. And, and my family has that, that ability to have a passport and travel back and forth. We've gone on cruises. We've gone, I've gone to several different countries on mission trips. So I told my uncle, I said, you know, I said, whenever I talk about, you know, these things that I've done, um, I had just gotten back from Rome. And I was like, you know, does it, I wish you could have gone with me. Um, you know, uh, but does it make you jealous? Um, how do you feel when I come back and share these stories? I personally feel a sense of guilt. Um, yeah. you know, but he was like, you know what, Miriam, no, um, I, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel jealous. Um, sometimes in general, sometimes I feel sad, not for you, but like in general, there's a, um, if I had a passport, he's like, I go to church, hear about these mission opportunities to go to different places. Um, some internationally, um, and I have, I have these dreams of, of doing those, but the simple fact of me not having a passport, um, uh, not being, you know, uh, uh, not having legal status here in the U.S. prevents me from doing that. And in yeah. the American church, I see so many people sitting down, hearing about these opportunities, and their passports are still, you know, empty. It's still unstamped. And I said, if it just, I wish I, they could transfer that passport to me, and I will go. Um, but he's like, you know, all these people are sitting down, not taking advantage of those opportunities, those callings, um, those experiences where they can go. And some people would say, wow, Miriam, you have a front row seat to so many incredible stories. How could I jump in on this? Yeah, um, everybody asked me about my job, stories from work, but really the my clients are... Um, you know, go to school with your kids, or they're the parents of kids that go, or of kids that go to school with your kids, or they're your next door neighbors. Um, they're there's the doctor that's treating you. Um, um, you uh, people even at your church. Um, sometimes, uh, you know that you can encounter from different countries, and so you have the same access to these stories that I do. Maybe even a different perspective if they're your neighbor or if they're you know someone that you contact with every single day um for me they're my clients so I interact with them a good amount but you know uh, and then even on campus like I mentioned earlier there's people on campus who are just hungry for um interaction um you know these foreign exchange students um when there's a break maybe they can't afford to go back home so mm. they're stuck here um or they've been out of they've never been to the u.s they don't know you know these traditions that we have for christmas because they maybe never had christmas or they don't know what it how to, they've never been on a boat i remember my uncle the first time he was on a boat on lake hamilton um even my grandpa one time he went on the boat and it was the first time he had ridden on a boat wow. and they have this different perspective and we can learn from it and my my dad where he grew up they they're very um low on water um they don't they get running water every five days so my grandpa was on the boat on lake hamilton and someone was like oh don't you wish you had a boat like this back in mexico he's like i wish i had the water wow you know and so you wow know, what you, perspective yes and so you you see those perspectives but you have access and and for my family um you know it took people inviting us over to dinner mm. it took people like you know um inviting my mom even growing up in thanksgiving we don't have our family here and holidays were a painful um sore subject for my mom um but slowly mm. americans started inviting us to our home and now she loves holidays and loves being able to go to a potluck at a church for thanksgiving or any of those things so it just takes you getting out of your comfort zone and actually um, inviting people or, or reaching out i, I think sometimes 
Miriam, we devalue how special it is to be an American uh, and, and just the privilege that it is that we, we have this opportunity and the opportunities afforded to us in the United States. Tell us, just just give us a picture of how excited people are when they get legal status, when they become a citizen. Like, why is it such a big deal? I pretty much cry every time I get an approval, like, on a green card or approval. Like, I go to a citizenship ceremony. It is huge. It is life-changing. Um, some people would even describe it as, like, a slice of paradise. Wow. Um, you know, um, even, you know, there's had been some adjustments that have had to be made over the last few months, and so they've even done drive-through um, ceremonies for citizenship. And um, so, but, yeah, they don't, people... You know, I've personally seen firsthand how it has affected my life. So we have this deep understanding of what it means. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, it is, um, you know, a next star salvation. It's probably one of the next best things. Wow. So, so, I mean, obviously you're probably coaching people for citizenship tests, correct? Yes, yes. And, and Ryan and I wanted to see if, if we could pass a couple of these questions. Because I'm, I'm fairly certain that American history or uh, citizenship, you know, uh, what, what is it? Civics class? Uh, yeah, civics class. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I was more worried about the girls in my classroom. <laughs> and that's been curriculum. a long time ago. So, yeah. Miriam, talk us Talk us through what does the citizenship test look like yeah. and what's the process for it? Okay, well, um, like I mentioned earlier, you have to be, um, wait. Generally, you have to wait five years become, you have, before you become a U.S. citizen or before you can apply to become a U.S. citizen. Um, so you fill out this application. It's um, 20 pages long. And again, it's not just filling out the form. You have to have evidence behind it to make sure that everything's in place. And um, so you submit it. And then the next step is going to fingerprints. And then the third step is actually getting an interview. So you go into the USCIS office. And so Arkansas is broken down like um, diagonally in half. Um, so Little Rock and the South um, Southwest go to Memphis and the upper half go to Fort Smith. And so then you go to the, your appointment. Sometimes I go with them, sometimes not, um, just depending on, on their situation. So they may have to drive hundreds of miles just for, for this appointment at the court. Yes, yes. Um, well, it's, it's USCIS office, not court. Okay. But USCIS office. And so they'll go um, and they'll give them a question. Uh, there's de several components. There's a um, written test, a reading test, um, the actual civics questions as well. Um, and so they'll go through that. And if they pass, then they then they'll set them up for a ceremony. Okay. Um, um, or if they uh, don't pass, they'll just refer them to another, um, they'll reschedule them for another appointment. Okay, but so how many questions is it, and how many do you have to get correct? Okay, for the civics, um, you know, like I said, there's several components, but just for the civics specifically, there's 100. Um, so they'll they'll ask you 10, um, and you have to get 60%, so six right. Okay, um, and so it's a random conglomerate of those 100 questions. Yes, so they're all in, they're in English, and so um, let me ask you They're if you okay. They're in English. Yes, they're in English. So if someone, you know. Wow. Yeah. So if English is your second language, which for many immigrants it is, then just understanding the question is a barrier. Yes, yes. Um, there are a few exceptions depending on how long you've had your green card and how old you are. They can okay. you do it in Spanish, but okay. generally it's in English. Okay. But okay, let me ask you a few questions to see, okay? All right. So um, how many amendments does the Constitution have? Oh, I think it's 27 currently. You are right. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Wow. <laughs> Shoot, son. I, would, I was not there. Okay. <laughs> what stops one branch of government from becoming too powerful? A system of checks and balances. 
Two for two. See, you can um, jump in here anytime. Any Seth. moment that I want. I was trying to remember the terminology, checks and balances, and then I thought about making some funny joke like, you know, a big brick, or I don't know. <laughs> okay, the how right ma- to bear arms. How yes. many U.S. senators are there? I, I give this one to you, Seth. Fifty. There are one hundred U.S. senators. One hundred. That's three, what I meant. It's two for three for three for one. And we elect the U.S. Senator for how many years? Seth? Six years. It is six years. Okay, yes. And what about a U.S. Representative? How long are they? Their um, terms. Their terms, yes. Uh, three years. I think it's two. Is it two? It's two years. <sighs> okay, Seth, this one's for you. Oh, thanks. What's the name of the Vice President of the United States right now? I don't know. <laughs> Ryan, do you know the name of the vice president? The vice president of the United States is Mike Pence. <laughs> okay. If both the president and the vice president can no longer serve, mm. who becomes president? The Speaker of the House. Yes. Who is the Speaker of the House currently? Oh, uh, 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 the, the, the woman from California. Pelosi? She's uh, Nancy Pelosi from yes. California. Correct, correct. Um, and then um, what is one responsibility that is only for U.S. citizens? There's two, but you just have to say one. The, the right f- to vote. Yes. And the right to serve on it, or the responsibility of serving on a jury. So oh, yes. wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Yes. Okay. But those these are hard questions. Yes, these are not easy. Like, And I'm, and if I didn't I'm read for like literally 12. articles all the time, I would not know these questions. No. And Seth still no, doesn't I still know doesn't. these questions. <laughs> In my defense, I have four children, and I have a theory that to gain knowledge, someone else has to give it up. And so I'm pretty sure I'm imparting all of my knowledge upon my children. <laughs> that may be true. That may be true. Hey, Miriam, thank you so, so much for being on with us. I, I tell you, I'm incredibly pr- proud of the work that you do, not only on behalf of Christian men and women all throughout our state, but on behalf of our churches and on behalf of our country, um, bringing folks into our country through legal processes. And, and it's hard and it's yeah. difficult. And most of us don't understand it. And so what are some ways that we can be praying for you as you go about your job? I'm just praying that, uh, you know, my job is pretty stressful and I um, sometimes lose sleep at night over client situation. Um, You know, there are some crises that I am involved in, you know, to have to help um, with an assistant. And so just being able, you know, literally like my physical and mental state um you know i pray that um god will just continue to be my strength and god will put people in my life that will encourage me um during those moments and and also that i need to take you know realize and recognize and take a step back sometimes and and rest um and not you know carry everything on my shoulders Mm. Um, and then also just that that i would be able to be a light for these people no one comes to an attorney um there's very few situations where they come to an attorney like for a happy moment but most of the time it's in a moment of despair moment of, of of crisis of trial and so i pray that in that moment i can you know, not me speak, but God speak through me, and then I can point them and direct them back to him in that moment because they are searching, they are yearning for something. Miriam, you're my hero. Thank you for doing what you do. We appreciate you so, so much. And thank thank you you for joining us today on the Lead Defend podcast. Yeah, no problem. One of my, um, you know, if I weren't an attorney, I'd probably want to be a YouTuber or a podcaster. So you helped me live out my dream a little. So thank you. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Hey, you can continue to lead the 
listen to the Lead Defend podcast and join us at Lead Defend 2021. And we look forward to giving you more information about that very soon. Thanks for joining us. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.